Hi, this is Raghu. And this is Sadish. And together, we are inconceivable war movie buffs. Specifically the Second World War, and specifically in this case, Dunkirk. Although in, in honesty, it's probably not that inconceivable. There are millions of Indians fighting in the Second World War. It kind of <laughs> makes sense that the inconceivable Desis would have something to say about the Second World War. The latest Christopher Nolan epic, uh, Dunkirk, Raghu and I just watched it. I managed to catch it in 70mm. Um, it is every, but every bit the Christopher Nolan movie that we would love to go and watch. And you must have to watch it in the theatre as if at all possible. It, it really does make a difference. I want to say we watched almost a large majority of the war movies that have been released, like 70s, 80s, all of those, you know... Uh, Guns of Navarone, Force 10 from Navarone, Vaughn Ryan's Express, and all the way to the recent Saving Private Ryan, because everyone must bring up Saving Private Ryan as a war movie. Uh, but this is very different from all of those. This this is not a gang of misfits going out to take, you know, do some heroic deed. This is not... Um, Actually, I guess that pretty much sums up all war movies, right? Band of misfits go out to save the day. So yeah, that's true. If I if I think back to the recent past, like the last name that pops in my mind is is kind of Fury, which had Brad Pitt in it, and almost all of these movies have very similar uh, storylines. You have to either escape from the prison, uh, or you have to break through the enemy lines and get to safety, or either break through the enemy lines and kill somebody or or something along those lines and you basically have a group of men come together and uh and it's mostly always just a group of men uh come together and uh, achieve some sort of war imperative in a sense i guess the fact that quentin tarantino has made his contribution to the war genre tells you that it has i guess that i guess that forms like the Okay, at this point we have we've tapped out of so many different ways of making war movies that we have the guy who turns it all on his head coming and making his version of a war movie, um, Inglorious Bastards, which uh, you know it, it's a good movie in its own right. It's probably one of his best movies uh, in, in the in, in this in this part of his career, I would say. No, overall, I think that's probably one of his top five not top three yeah definitely yeah i agree agree. anyway this is not about tarantino this is about nolan and dunkirk so i guess before we get into the details what what's your i guess big picture take uh heads up for everyone spoilers abound as much as we can as much as we will try to spoil this movie really trust us it is it is not an easy movie to spoil. Like even if yeah. you were to read the entire Wikipedia <laughs> entry, I don't think you would get exactly what this movie does with its narrative and its storylines and the way it's taken and so on. Okay, so my take on this movie is uh, that I really loved it. Uh, I definitely say something like, um, you know, this was one of the greatest movies to you know come out this year, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and that would be pretty much true. Uh, I think Tom Hardy was was fantastic, and uh, the narrative structure is definitely something that I haven't seen in a while. Uh, Chris Nolan basically gave birth to this narrative structure, so it kind of makes sense that he would keep doing it. <laughs> uh, I definitely think it's like four on five stars. What, what do you think, Satish? 
yeah uh i agree i guess going with the fact that we're doing a nolan movie we're going to we're going to flip the review podcast structure on its head and give our rating up front so anyway so yeah i agree 4 on 5 uh definitely amazing technical detail amazingly shot amazingly edited really well edited really well scored um really well directed like at no point do you get the impression that he doesn't know how to take the story forward it's very clear he knows exactly how he's you know how these things are going to link together exactly how this you know that of course nolan multiple storylines how the storylines are going to intersect and so on and forth um and you know this was probably one of the few movies in the last few years that i came out of the theater basically telling my wife uh you know we're going to have to watch this again and she said you know i was about to tell you that you better keep track of of like itunes and rent it because i want to watch it again <laughs> the loose narrative structure is of course uh i think inception was his last big one where he had something like this where a story happens within a story happens within a story mm-hmm. and here we have something very similar there are three kind of sort of parallel stories they are separated in space and time sometimes by quite a bit of time uh but yeah you eventually end up trying to blend those three narratives i i'm not going to necessarily say that there is a story mm-hmm. beneath it there is no like underlying thread except that this is happening in the eponymous uh dunkirk battle uh and or rather the retreat of the british and the french uh allies from dunkirk there isn't necessarily a very strong storyline there is no like bad guy good guy i mean you don't even see the germans right you do at the very end but at it's like end. a blink and miss can you see like one guy there's no strong story structure i guess which was one of my biggest complaints mm-hmm. um it's not like i'm used i'm i'm expecting a traditional war movie where you know again you have the band of misfits or a or a stand alone leader like wanderance express and they are trying to you know do something good Mm-hmm. or do or escape or something and you are kind of rooting for them here you are rooting for nameless people but at times it gets confusing as to <laughs> who's the focus of the scene yeah i mean, we don't we don't actually get the names for a lot of the characters right like most of right. them are just nameless soldiers you i think it's only you only get the name of one of the main characters towards very end of the movie They're like no 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 don't do this and that's when you hear the person's name for the first time right um uh Yeah I I again so based on some of the interviews I've seen and 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 read about this movie after the after watching the movie it seems very calculated I think in in some sense Nolan was trying to get away from the traditional war movie where you get to know who these people are and you are rooting for them he wanted to give that impression of these are just these are the faceless soldiers and this is what they have to go through right like we we think of war as being this massive effort and there are these people that are heroes and there are villains but what i think he was trying to go for was there are no heroes or villains here these are just people trying to survive in some sense and to survive people will do anything because in the end everyone just wants to get everyone involved in it just wants to get away from it right none of these people want to stay there you know with like a gatling gun like mowing down hundreds of enemy soldiers or whatever it is just Damn, let's get away from here. How do we get out? How do we go home? That, like that's the I, 
at least that was the sense I got from a you know even the final scene that that's basically his thing right he could have ended on on the shot of the plane right showing that in the end this is how each one concluded but he didn't he, he came back and said no actually remember a bunch of them did get to go you know what I mean and they yeah. got a hero's welcome for for surviving and that that is a big deal so I I kind of buy that but I also felt very strongly that he was trying to get all these anecdotal vignettes packed into one sure. war movie sure sure you can't have anecdotal vignettes without the people right like they, that's yeah. very interesting if I don't know that this person who this person is or why they're doing this so like the the officer who uh, accidentally kills the boy mm-hmm. the boy and the officer both of the rules seem to be like wasted like I have no idea why there is this kid mm-hmm why he dies like the way he dies and why is this officer even like what's the point of this officer the only point of this officer seemed to be that he turns away those guys from yeah but i think that was supposed to be the contrast like like i think he was trying to go for like he he was good, trying to go for uh, like a shock value sort of you have to read really between the lines to reach that kind of conclusion i i i just felt that he had packed too many vignettes it almost felt like they had like a bullet list of Here are all the anecdotal things about Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Let's see how many of them we can fit, and they probably put it on a dartboard or something and start throwing darts <laughs> at it. Yeah, I, I mean, I I was a little confused by a lot of these vignettes. I mean, many of them were very evocative, very powerful. Some of them kind of fell flat. Like every war movie has to have the scene where the flag of the nation is like fluttering in the wind, and then a plane flies by or a boat swoops mm-hmm, by or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they tried to do that, and a couple of times, and and you could see like it was so half-hearted. Like they didn't want to do a traditional kind of epic. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I necessarily did not. So in my opinion, a good war movie ends up being like an anti-war movie. Like a, it's, it's very you know pacifist in message. But I mean. Ha- other than showing you a traditional hero's journey you know like you pick one of these these three right. storylines he had and you make one of them the the ultimate hero and you show this person trying his best and eventually either you know dying and allowing people to escape or mm-hmm. winning and living himself or whatever outside of doing that yeah uh, I, i mean i don't really see a way in which he could have I feel as though like this is like opposing opposing points of view like he was he was basically saying I I don't want to show that I don't want to show that there are heroes in wars because there are no heroes in wars they're all just yeah. people surviving there's no there's no solid person you need to be able to hand your hat I I think that's that is totally true that is definitely a uh, an aspect of the movie that uh I fear people might overlook for sure the fact yeah. that all yeah. these are anonymous you know people who just kind of showed up and had to fight through uh, this really grim situation and it's an out and out director's move i agree with you so, like the place where i was probably the most lost was the when the soldiers get on the boat which gets swept out to sea in the tide and then the 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 other the actual owner of the boat the dutch guy in, the dutch oh guy comes God. in and like that whole sequence I don't know. That was the only place where I was. I, I actually turned my wife like, so, wh- wh- why? H- how did this happen exactly? What exactly was the sequence here? 
to be noted i did not i i did not get so confused by the nonlinear structure you know the fact that you know there's this plane which intersects with this other storyline and i didn't get confused with that i didn't get confused with you know which character shows up where at what time none of that was confusing or not as confusing to me right. this i was just it, it like i basically glazed over at that point a little bit because i was like i don't know what's happening i like even one shot even a, even like one sequence set outside the boat would have grounded me in how this is moving forward because until they come out of the boat i had no idea how it moved everything forward you know what i mean like you have to wait for that yeah. whole thing to play out and then when you see them escaping that's when you make the connection to everything else that's happened hey you know you could take it as a good thing that they showed you just how confused the soldiers are in the darkness how you have no more information than they do maybe i think that's the problem with this movie in general <laughs> that's probably is 4 out of 5 stars and not 5 out of 5 because there are just so many places throughout the length of the movie where you're like why did this happen what happened right here what what did i just did i just miss something something symbolic here sure, uh, the, sure, the, sure. some of the movie some of the uh, so uh, this is like we we seem to be overly critical of this this is this is i think this will go down as one of the one of the great war movies without a doubt in my mind i think i think we have seen enough more movies to know just the just just purely on the treatment of the movie sure sure while it is no saving private ryan it's just uh tom hardy's eyes i think should win an oscar <laughs> as i want to say that like that the whole, every sequence with the plane and the aerial dogfight right was just spot on like there was no point in that that you don't know exactly what's happening like you are literally in the edge of your feet how are these people going to crisscross you know where everything is happening and as you said all you're going on is just tom hardy's eyes looking up down like so much emotion from just the top half not even the top of his face literally his eyes is just amazing it's very easy for these things to just end up as a bunch of like rapid cuts and then you see something go down yes then, that is true yeah right like this was very slow these down. nice Absolutely. long shots you watch the planes in formation split away come back like you got a sense for how these things happen it's not Absolutely the mechanics of the war were so well treated that's that's probably why like the torpedo going through the I mean that was that was well done that was like you know uh people eating bread like ja- the marmalade on bread yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. all the, all that stuff was you know attention to detail was perfect I really wish that the movie was chasing something slightly more elevated so the uh the other thing was uh I guess I was a little confused by how detached sometimes the movie was from the battle itself if that makes sense yeah uh so in some sense it's it's almost like nolan is just using like the war and dunkirk as this sort of a stage right he's not he, he's more interested in that concept of the three timelines which are at different pacings or uh, and are getting interleaved with each other than he is in 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 the actual problems of dunkirk or or the soldiers of dunkirk or any of that right it, it, it's a framing device it, it, right he uses it he he identified the best location to put it in and then he 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 came up with three intersecting storylines that he could put in to that but purely if you, if you were to think of it more as okay how did what was the issue with dunkirk like then i guess he stayed away from that but then you'd have to get into showing what happened back in the you know 
back with Churchill and then what happens back in Germany. Like you, you, it'll be a much more traditional. Right, right, right. That makes sense. This way he stayed focused on the battle. That's actually interesting. I wonder if you could redo like Mahabharata. Like that. <laughs> right? The, the, the final, the, like the battle. Uh-huh. I wonder if you could restructure it all the way that way where it starts with like Bhishma basically, right? you know, on his deathbed and then you work from like the first day of like from when the Gita was read and so on and so forth. So that's intriguing the way you're pos- you're positing it. It's just like, you know, uh, the actual battle was uninteresting. It was more of uh, the narrative structure that he wanted to play with. It's just uh, intriguing. Yeah, and I guess Dunkirk fundamentally is... You know, it's it's a it's a it's a very inspiring story of how they managed to rescue so many soldiers. You know, who were basically at uh, between life and death. He he's he's trying to tap into uh, tap into something more primal, which is okay. We want to show how these people felt. Like they didn't know what was happening, and 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 it did not matter whether you were living out an hour of the war or a week of the war. You just did not know how how you were going to end up at right. the end. Right. From our perspective, where we we coming into this with a little bit of the historical background, like a bunch of things just just missing, right? Like weirdly yeah. missing. Yeah. Right? Like the French just barely appear before they disappear. Um, I think you mentioned um, that we had read about the the Indian forces, or not the Indian, but the South Asian forces in their area, which you see some faces in the crowd, but. By and large, uh, that that was like that was like a drop in the pond for the BEF. So it's that part is not very surprising, but yeah, definitely the fact that the French were like absent. Yeah, other than that last throwaway line, I'm gonna wait here for the French. But then on the other hand, there was also like a bunch of stuff. I guess it's sort of overemphasized, right? In in some sense, like overemphasis on just how many civilians really participated in the effort to evacuate Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. The small ships didn't necessarily... The small ships were commandeered by the Navy and the Navy basically just put like ensigns and other, you know, lower ranks. Uh, some some even plucked from like uh, naval academies and stuff. It, it was really like a simplistic operation, but they really didn't want civilian participation as far as they could avoid it. Uh, they Obviously, there were some... Obviously, like the ones coming from more remote parts of the... British uh, Isles were probably were most definitely manned by uh, civilian crews. Uh, mm-hmm. The other thing is that a lot of these uh, there are like a lot of pleasure yachts and like yeah, I mean it's, it's uh, I mean they were called the little ships of Dunkirk, right? It, I was under the impression that they were just sort of private boats and like pleasure yachts or something. Is that not? Uh, that's I mean the majority of them were actually not. The majority of them were. You know, um, like ocean-going vessels. They were like trawlers and uh, okay, okay. You mm-hmm. know, uh, fishing trawlers, and then there were other type of fishing boats, which are you know manned by a big crew. It wasn't like a pleasure yacht. You would think of like manned by like one person or maybe two people, right? Right, right, right. It's it's a pleasure yacht. They go out once in a while when they're bored, and they go out and then they come back at the end of the day. But these are like ships that are out for like six months, seven months. Yeah, like the impression you get from the movie because they focus on this one boat is which looks like a pleasure yacht by this guy. It does not look like a fishing trawler by any means. Um, But I think that was based on this actual boat called the Sundowner. 
Okay. I'm just looking at Wikipedia, but uh, yeah, I think it was based on an actual because that that boat was famous for having pulled out a whole bunch of different people, like over a hundred people, on that boat. And that's if if you remember at the end of the movie, they have that comment with the guy like, "How many people do you have in there?" Yeah, that was because <laughs> they got a lot of people out. Yeah, like uh, ferry boats got there. There were like paddle steamers, and they were like you know fairly massive. You basically needed something with a shallow draft, and and there are a lot of different types of vessels which do shallow draft. It's mm-hmm. not necessarily like pleasure yachts only. Oh, the only other thing that I'd like to just throw out there, I'll be link this in the show notes as well. There is actually this this one uh, shot from a movie called Atonement. It's a tracking shot, like a five minute tracking shot, which uh, people might have seen around the internet now that Dunkirk itself has come out. It's basically sh- set. on the dunkirk beach and it's like this single take uh where they're showing you how those soldiers were and it's a it's an interesting shot because in one shot it really captures what dunkirk was really like which this movie doesn't quite tell you that it tells yeah. you like the overall feeling that yeah. is really getting into like the details this is what it was like to be on dunkirk for that week this is how people were there anyway to conclude so ragu what was your favorite i guess scene take shot sequence Oh, definitely the ending of the movie uh, with Tom Hardy's flight into imprisonment. Oh yeah, yeah. The gliding, the the gliding plane, and the the eventual landing. Yep, absolutely. I thought that was well executed. You could, yeah. I I definitely would like to go back just to watch that <laughs> scene in absolute quiet. I thought that was a well executed scene, so I had, I had a fun time watching that. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of uh, some of those sequences from. Um, Interstellar, right? Where they, you know, they have that sequence where they have the two ship meeting, and then they have to essentially match the spinning so that yep. they can yep. link up correctly. And I, when I remember, I remember watching that and thinking, oh, physics, relativity, yes, I can't believe right? they're showing it. And you know, he, he captured that exact feeling here. Yeah. Oh, the landing gear is jammed. How do I unjam it? Oh, here's how I unjam it. <laughs> I'm like, oh yes, that's exactly how you do it. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm sort of hard pressed to to match that. I I do think that was probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie as well. Uh, it was very closely uh, sort of close behind is the scene from the middle, which again involves the planes. Um, uh, you know where the where the planes are sort of weaving in and out and trying uh, attacking each other, and you're seeing like you get this very you get the sense of being in the cop- cockpit with the guy trying to mm. attack. the enemy plane just yeah. how difficult it was for these people to really line up the shot take it follow through like that whole you really get a sense for that and i i thought that was beautifully done was uh, the 70 mm uh, oh, experience it was, it was it was quite something so it's not my first 70 mm movie uh, in the theater i watched uh, the hateful eight in 70 right. mm uh, which was interesting in 70 mm uh, movie itself is interesting at best i guess so that could play into it i mean the movie is set in a room and they shoot it in 70 mm it's a little bit of a of like a of a jarring thing but here yeah, it yeah. it really just captures that expanse that's awesome right? like really really brings it home i think it's uh, you know i, I don't want to go back and retread old ground but i think it's telling that we found the most effective scenes that we are thinking of are related to the most focused part of the movie which is the <laughs> it's kind the, of weird, the plane yeah. sequences <laughs> right right supposedly i think i think that's the thing that spans an hour or something yeah um i think i think that's telling i think that tells you how much the other storylines go a little bit 
haywire all over in, the place in trying yeah. to capture it within the same time span i guess um other than that please do hit us up on twitter tell us why you think we're right or wrong about dunkirk we can be found at icd podcast i am at satish v ragu is at ragu ayer we're also on facebook of course you always have a website outside of that in the horde. I don't think it means what you think it means.